following sermon audio. The following sermon audio. The following sermon audio is a presentation of First International Baptist Church of First International Baptist Church of Copenhagen, Denmark. Today's teaching comes from FIBC Senior Pastor Senior Pastor N. Eric Nielsen. A husband and wife were talking about the possibility of taking a trip to the Holy Land. And the husband was really excited and said, wouldn't it be just fantastic if we got to the Holy Land, we could find Mount Sinai, and then we could shout the Ten Commandments from atop that mountain. Wife said, well, wouldn't it be better if you simply stayed at home and then kept the Ten Commandments for me? You know, the Ten Commandments, sometimes people use it to, to justify themselves. You know, I'm not a bad and evil person. I try to keep the Ten Commandments. Sometimes people say, well, the Ten Commandments, that was just ancient. That was some other regulation. They're not for me. So either to excuse or to justify one's own behavior. But without God's revelation of what's right and wrong, then who is to determine how we should live? You know, have you ever seen kids playing a game together? where the kids will make up the rules as they go along. And always something unfair happens, and then they say, well, no, that's because you're not allowed to. Well, we start that way. Sometimes you're playing a board game as adults, and you think you've explained all the rules, and all of a sudden something comes up, and you say, oh, I forgot to mention that rule. What do the others say? Uh, yeah, sure. Yeah, right. That's a rule? Since when? You know, when people can make up rules and keep, people can decide their own standards of right and wrong, you have relativism and you have chaos. It was, in fact, a rabbi who had survived the death camp at Auschwitz, who had summed it very well when he said that it was as though there existed a world in which all of the Ten Commandments were reversed. When you don't take God's revelation of what's right and wrong, and you begin to choose your own right and wrong, you get chaos, you get something similar to the death camps. Well, today, as we begin again, or restart our study of the uh, covenant people of God, we are uh, in Exodus chapter 20, where we visit the Ten Commandments. And hopefully today you'll understand how God's covenant with Israel serves four basic functions, functions that are relevant to us as New Testament Christians today as well, that their function and their purpose has not changed even for us today. We'll explore also its uniqueness in the three ways that it differs from the other covenants. And then finally, we'll consider the summary of the law that Jesus made for us by looking at the two greatest commandments. And so if you're taking notes, you'll notice there's four basic functions. There's three ways that it differs from other covenants, and then there's two main commandments. And the purpose of Exodus chapter 20, verse 24, is this, to provide the basic laws that govern the life of Israel as the covenant people of God. It's written there in your outline, I trust. And as for the main idea of this, these chapters, you'll have to wait until the end of this sermon to note that down. But God's covenant with Israel serves four functions. The first of them is this, that it reveals God's character. God's covenant with Israel reveals his own character. He created mankind in his own image so that mankind would be a reflection of his glory. 
Not only does it display God's character, it exposes our sin, and then it guides us into the expected response of faith. Because when we realize that we cannot achieve the standard that God requires of us, then we should fall on our knees in contrition, in repentance, to seek his mercy and his forgiveness. Paul wrote to the Galatians, if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But instead, since the whole world has violated the law of God, he wrote, we were held prisoners by the law. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. The function of the law is to guide the believer into the expected response of faith. And in the unfolding plan of God, he included a means by which God's people could experience a temporary forgiveness of sins, at least until Christ would come, the true Lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world, until he was revealed and a righteousness that could be received by faith. You see, the Israelites in the Old Testament, they too had to act in faith. When they were told to slaughter a lamb, to sacrifice a goat, to sacrifice a bull, or let the blood pour out on the altar, they were required to believe that the blood of those animals would obtain for them the forgiveness of sins that they realized they needed. We find out only later that the blood of bulls and goats cannot pay for mankind's sins. But God was actually in his forbearance, the Bible says, leaving the sins committed beforehand unpunished, at least until Christ, the true Lamb of God, would come. Christ had not come in the Old Testament, but until he did the atonement rituals, they foreshadowed what he would do to maintain the justice of God. So the people of the Old Testament, they're just like us in that they are looking to Christ in faith. They were just looking to the future of Christ in faith. Whereas you and I, for our forgiveness of sins, we look to the past, what Christ has done on the cross to receive for us the forgiveness that we so desperately need. But the law reveals God's standard, which is based on his own character. It exposes our sin and then leads us into a faith-based response. And the fourth function of the law is that it provides then a basis for God's discipline, a basis for the discipline of God. Because by reading the law, the individual knows not only thou shalt not steal, but also the consequences if one does steal. For example, if a man steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it, he must pay back five head of cattle for the ox and four sheep for the sheep. If you take advantage of widows or orphans, God says you will arouse his anger. And he says the consequence I will kill you with a sword. Your wives will become widows and your children fatherless. The basis of which God can discipline is revealed in the law when you have disobeyed. And there's a variety of case laws in chapters 21 and 23. There are the various boundaries in specific cases, all further explaining the Ten Commandments. And there are, of course, practical implications for living by the laws that you have to honor your father and mother, you have to respect your fellow human being, and their life and their property. So God lays down the law in the Ten Commandments, and then he provides consequences for obedience and consequences for disobedience. The consequences for obedience, they would have freedom from slavery, they would have wealth, there would be no poor among them, they would have protection from their enemies, and that, of course, required they should respect each other as they should. They should treat each other well instead of taking advantage of each other. They should honor God with their labor and their fruits of their labor. And, of course, there are consequences for disobedience. 
He would remove his protection from their enemies. He would not bless the land that gave them food, and he would bring certain calamities upon them. And the point of God's discipline was simply to correct their waywardness, to restore them to the abundant life that he had for them. And his motive is love. The Lord disciplines those he loves, the Bible says, and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. And so if you're ever wondering, does the, do the Ten Commandments mean anything for me as a New Testament Christian? Absolutely, because those four functions still exist today. When you read the covenant that God made with Israel, we see also God's character. We see also our sins exposed. We too should be led to a faith response because we have fallen short. And we should understand then why the Lord disciplines us through certain hardships. Yes, we have received the forgiveness of sins through Christ, the justification that comes by faith in Him, and we have received the righteousness of Christ in exchange for our sins. But that Ten Commandments are still valuable instruction for us. Yes, certain cases may no longer apply in modern times, I would agree, but the principle from those cases outlined in the Old Testament can certainly be applied in modern times today. Now, there's, a, there's at least three main reasons why this, unique, this covenant with Israel is unique from all other covenants that God makes in the Old Testament. Firstly, it is a two-party covenant. Going back to some of the other sermons we've been through, remember God's covenant with Adam? He said this, I will put enmity between you and the woman, he said to the serpent. And then he revealed the earliest indication of a Savior that would come from the woman's seed. God was the only party to this covenant. I will do this, he said. In his covenant with Noah, his promise was this, never again will all life be cut off by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. Then he set a rainbow in the sky as a sign. Again, God said he would do it. There was only one party in this covenant. In his covenant with Abraham, he said, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. The only thing Abraham had to do is wear the sign of the covenant, which was circumcision. And all the males that would come after him should be circumcised. But God was the party to the covenant. Now, in the covenant with the nation of Israel, this was a mutually binding pact. God would be their God and the Israelites would be his people as they both would keep the terms of the agreement. It was not only a two-party covenant, it was also what we could call an experiential covenant. An experiential covenant. Remember the other three covenants I just uh, reviewed for you? They were something that God would do in the future. God didn't, or Adam didn't see the, the seed that would eventually strike the serpent's heel. Abraham never saw that he was a great nation and blessed. But in this covenant with Israel, God was saying, if you will keep these laws and these commandments, then I will do these things. And they were going to experience them in their own day. Much of it had to do with the present experience of the people. The individuals and each generation that would follow would experience the terms of this covenant. It required a daily observance in, most, in the most average and daily mundane things they would experience. The blessings and curses would be immediately experienced in their own generation. 
and they could hardly be a moment in their life and their circumstances that would not require some kind of a reference to would this be allowed, Are we? can we do this? And seasons would bring celebrations, reminders and rituals that affected their relationship with God as well as each other. And every new individual, as they entered into the nation, either through birth or maybe through uh, joining uh, into the covenant, through circumcision or being baptized into the, the community, being born into the covenant or adopted as God's people, they entered into that covenant as an individual to be part of that community of people of God. And there were several occasions, in fact, when the people of God had to renew their commitment and reestablish their relationship of covenant. And the third thing that's different is that it is a conditional covenant. The other ones, God said, I'm going to do that. But this one has an if-then. An if-then is always a condition. If you obey me fully and keep my covenant, God said, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured people. And what did Israel say to that? The people all responded together, we will do everything the Lord has said. So they agreed to be God's special people. They had, after all, seen his, his amazing uh, acts done against the Egyptians. They saw what he could do to the armies of Egypt, the plagues that destroyed their nation. They experienced the redemption that was the fulfillment of God's covenants with their forefathers. And so when God says, you will be my people, if you do this, then they said, we will do everything you have said. And so in summary, this covenant is relational because it is two-party, it is experiential, and it is a conditional covenant. So we may not be party to that covenant with Israel. The details of that covenant still reveal to us that nevertheless what God is like. It still reveals how far short we fall in His righteous standards. It still shows us how we need a Savior, and it still shows us that God takes disobedience very seriously. You and I today are part of a new covenant where God says in Jeremiah 31, I will remember their sins no more. That's the covenant we're part of, the covenant that was ratified by the blood of Jesus Christ. And we enter into a heavenly tabernacle, not a meeting place that are made by hands, but made by God himself. And we have an ongoing relationship with God, not on the basis of the old covenant that he made with Israel, but on the basis of the covenant he made through Jesus Christ. Here's what the writer of Hebrews says after he explains all that's different of the new covenant from the old covenant. He says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. So after everything has been said and done regarding the covenant we have with Christ or through Christ, I should say, it's still all about being near to God and it's still all about doing the right thing. Love and good deeds, it's still all about a relationship between God and us as his people, instructing us on how good differs from bad, how right differs from wrong. So what should we do with the law? Well, we should read it, and we should adjust our lives accordingly. And then finally, God's covenant with Israel. We've seen already the four functions. Hopefully you've also noticed the three distinctions or the three ways that it's different. And then... How can we summarize the law into two main commandments? Well, Jesus said it this way. He was asked by an expert of the law, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And then Jesus responds by giving two of them. 
The teacher was probably only expecting one, but he gave two. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. But, then he continues, the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So there you have it. The two main commandments for us to take from the Ten Commandments are love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Because Jesus concludes by saying, on these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. And if you look at Mark's gospel, the man acknowledges, yes, those two commandments are more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. And Jesus says, you are not far from the kingdom of God. So if you take a look real quick at the, at the Ten Commandments, in, uh, they're printed up for you in the bulletin as well. The first four of them are all related to loving God. Now, the numbering and how, the, how the, the commandments are numbered differ sometimes from the Reformed and Anglican and Orthodox view to the Lutheran and Catholic view, and then even to the Jewish tradition. Here's a quick summary. The Jewish tradition divides, I am the Lord, as the first commandment, and then joins together into the second commandment, you shall have no other gods, and you shall make no graven image, as the second the Reformed Anglican Orthodox considers I am the Lord as the preamble, and then the first commandment then is you shall have no other gods. And finally, the Lutheran or Catholic, they have all of those that I've just stated as the first, and then they break the tenth commandment into the ninth and tenth commandment, separating the coveting against your um, neighbor and coveting their his property as two separate things. So, but basically they are this, that the Lord is our God and there is no other, that no idols may be worshipped or made, that the name of the Lord must be held in the strictest reverence because he's holy, and that the rest day should be set apart because God is holy and our rest reflects his rest because in, seven days, in six days he created the earth and on the seventh day he rested. And so to fulfill the great commandment, the first of this, the Lord must be number one in our lives. So if you're trying to think of a summary for what did the Ten Commandments say to me, the first is this, that the Lord must be number one and not somewhere further down in the order of priorities. For most people today, God is somewhere far down in their order of priorities. Maybe their employer has their undivided allegiance, but not God. Maybe their girlfriend or boyfriend receives their lavish affection, but not God. Or their parents, they're whether they're deceased or living, they're the ones that are shown the highest respect, but not God. Or they have man-made statues and figures that are venerated, but not God. Or holy men and dead saints are offered prayers, but not God. Or our own desires and our own ambitions, ambitions are pursued above all other pursuits, but not God's ambitions. For you and I as Christians, we have to place everything else on a lower priority than our commitment to the Lord our God. That's what it means to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength. Emotionally, spiritually, mentally, and physically, I love him with all of my being. So acknowledge that he is the sovereign almighty creator. Believe in his word as the truth and consecrate yourself for his use. And it means simply this, I offer the parts of my body not to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but as offering to God 
and as instruments of righteousness. I urge you, brothers, Paul says in Romans chapter 12, too, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Your hands, your feet, your lips, offer to him for his use and not yours. My finances, my time, all of it dedicated to him. Committing myself to his purposes for my life. We ask for a vision, Lord. What is it that you want to do this year? Well, first, love him with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength. And then he will reveal what he can and will do through you. All of our thoughts and our actions and our motives. So when you make your list of governing values, whether it's your business or it's you personally, ask yourself, what is important to the Lord? And how will I know what's important to the Lord? Read the law. When I evaluate a vocation or a ministry, ask yourself, is this really what the Lord wants me to do? When you seek wisdom on a specific course of action, what would the Lord do? Or when you desire to improve a particular character quality, a resolution that you've made here in the new year, what does the Lord want me to change? Not what, I, what do I really want to change? So loving God is the first of these great commandments and loving others is the second. The last six of the Ten Commandments, they're all related to loving others. Respect those in authority, starting with your parents. Every life is precious, so don't kill, don't even hate. Sexual relations should be pure and holy, so don't commit adultery. Do not commit any sexual immorality, which is completely lust-driven. Respect for people extends to their property, so don't steal from them and be sure to restore anything that you have wrongfully withheld. Speak truthfully to each other. Don't bear false testimony. And keep your heart free from any envy or jealousy or selfish ambition or covetousness so that you don't do your neighbor any harm in trying to satisfy these evil desires in your heart. You know, Paul put it this way. He said, he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. The commandments, and then he quotes some of them, are summed up in this one rule. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Romans chapter 13. So, of course, to those that don't know the Bible very well, they look at the Ten Commandments and they see a lot of thou shalt nots. And they think it's all a bunch of restrictions, as, as though God is trying to make life miserable for everyone and quench every freedom and every pursuit of happiness we would otherwise be able to pursue. But to those of us who understand the Bible, what we see in the law is a definition of what it means to love God, what it means to love the one who created us and to love our fellow man who've also been created in his image. See, the law protects relationships, whether it's with God or with mankind. The law shows us how to love God and how to love others. And the law tells us what it means to take responsibility for each other and allow others to live in freedom as well, freedom from oppression and wrongs committed against them. And without the law, well, as I said earlier, we would have come up with our own set of rules. We would have made up the rules to our own game of life. And then who's to decide which ones are better than others. So as I close, I also offer this one wonderful application to the Ten Commandments. At the end of every day, as you think of your day, and you ask yourself, is there anything that I need to ask God's forgiveness for? 
then if you've memorized the Ten Commandments, then you can go through each one of them and ask the Lord to do some introspection with you. Lord, have I placed anything else today a higher priority than you? Lord, have I used your name in vain and not held you holy? Or Lord, have I not honored my parents, whether they're still living or dead? Or have I in some way stolen from someone? You know, these days with software, piracy is easy. Or have I coveted and not been able to appreciate the good things that have happened to my colleague instead of desiring them jealously and with envy? All of those Ten Commandments are relevant for us today. And if you want to get, make things right with God, then you go through an inventory of your life that day, going through the Ten Commandments, and then ask the Lord to forgive you. That's the function of the law, for us to have a faith-based response that says, Lord, I need your forgiveness. And then once you have received the forgiveness that is promised to us in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, that the Lord is faithful and just to forgive us, and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That's if we confess our sins. If we agree with God that, yes, those Ten Commandments I have violated today in those particular ways. Because the obedience to the laws of God are not to be burdensome, but a pleasure. And so here is the main idea of Exodus chapter 20 to 24. In order for us to faithfully be God's people, we must love God with all of our being and love others as we love ourselves. For us to be faithfully God's people, we must love God with all of our being and love others as we love ourselves. When David looked into the law, he got it right. This is what he says in Psalm chapter 19. He says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the, law of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinance of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. And by them your servant is warned, in keeping them there is great reward. Let us pray. This has been a presentation of First International Baptist Church of Copenhagen, Denmark. To listen to more sermon podcasts or to learn more about FIBC, please visit www.fibc.vk or facebook.com forward slash FIBCCPH. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. 